excerpt from The New City Principle by Ludwig Hilbersheimer. Part 1. Society and Cities. City planning is a social task. City planning is a social task. It must solve problems of techniques, science, space and architecture. As these problems changed with the social pattern of their time, the means of realising the aims of city planning also change. For those means depend, on, depend in any era on the concurrent status of science and technology. The present problem of city planning cannot be solved by the patterns of the past. To attempt to solve them thus would lead to decorative, not structural formations. New social demands present, uh, present new technical problems. New techniques entail new problems for society. Society as a rule comes gradually to cope with the new problems which technology creates. But there is always a lag. The implications of a new alignment of forces are usually not generally appreciated until the end and until after the negative effects of the workings of those forces have become apparent. This is especially true in our own time. We have undergone a transformation in our technical processes. We have not yet learned to attain positive values from that transformation. The 19th century was a century of free economy. It brought into our world two factors which have profoundly altered society, the machine and the industrialization of production that the machine made possible. Machines and industry destroyed the essential structure of rural and urban settlements. The disorder in which we live follows as inevitable consequence of a changing world. Order will come again when we proceed from the nature of things. It will express itself in city planning as all other phases of human activity. Origin, growth and the decline of cities. If we're able to help direct the forces which will bring order out of disorder, it is profoundly important that we understand the forces which in the past and in the present influence the origins and developments of human settlements. All human settlements depend in their growth and in their decline on social, spiritual, political and economic forces. These forces are influenced by the status of techniques and by the forms of production and consumption, and by the means of transportation available to the settlement builders. This interdependence of social and technological forces is expressed in all kinds of culture and varies only with the variations of the predominant elements. We can see that this is true as we study cities of the past. They are unlike cities of today, but they show that as each new world, as each new order comes into existence, changes in urban development becomes both possible and necessary. This process is clear wherever we find settlements of men. Students have tended to limit research to large settlements, regarding them as the best examples of the process of change. In reality, however, it makes little difference how large or how small the settlement may be. The thing which does matter is the function and significance of that settlement within a particular economic and cultural sphere. Predomination of natural science. The rationalism of the 18th century paved the way for the predomination of natural science in the 19th century. The conception of evolution and development, which was characteristic of natural science, became the standard of all, of all research. Culture tended to be confused with civilization, and the progress of civilization was fallaciously identified with cultural unfolding. It became, accepted their f it became accepted theory to view the different phases of the history of mankind as successive developments. 
the culture of Egypt or the Near East, for example, is considered a primitive precursor to or of Greek culture. Greek culture was viewed as the culmination of the cultural development of antiquity. The primitive communities of prehistoric times were thus regarded not as groups of men and women whose mode of livelihood was conditioned by their environment, but rather as stages in an evolutionary succession. We are correcting some of these misconceptions now. We are coming to realise that the history of primitive ages can be adequately read not through research alone, but through research accompanied by an ideological conception, a philosophy of life. We can therefore begin to trace and understand through all history the operation of the same interwoven social, spiritual, political and economic forces which operate in our world today. Peasants and Nomads from earliest times, environment and the activities conditioned by it have influenced the creative spirit of man and moulded the intrinsic character of the communities he builds. Modern ethology recognises two basic distinct types, the peasant and the nomad, each with his own cultural development. In the communities they created, the earliest human dwellings known to us, these opposite types create opposite forms. The peasant, bound to the soil, is the carrier of a mystic culture in which matter and spirit form an inseparable unity. Plants, the peasant's means of livelihood, are the determining elements in his culture. Whether the peasant sows or reaps, the life process of plants suggests to him a synopsis of all life, symbolises to him the close connection of all things. He draws no distinction between matter and spirit. For him, all things are animate. His sense of space is centrifugal, centrifugal, or centrifugal, for all life emanates from a central source. The settlement he builds in the centre of his fields, his living space, were naturally rooted in the soil like trees. The nomad, whether hunter or herdsman, is the carrier of a culture of magic in which everything immaterial is alien. The animals, the basic means of existence for the nomad, are the determining elements here. To the nomad, the life process of those animals suggests a synopsis of all life which endows their existence with significance and purpose. In this magic culture, all is earthly, material and physical. Only that which is apparent is accepted. The nomad perceives only reality and is only opposed to all that is irrational. His feeling for space is centripetal. All life incoming from a domain within a border line. His settlements are therefore essentially tent settlements moving from time to time according to natural necessities. We meet these two types again and again in the course of history, regardless of political, economic, spiritual and cultural circumstances. The elementary elementary reactions of man are unchanging. It is only the expression of these reactions which changes. Organic and geometric settlements. The coexistence of peasants and nomads, of mystic and magic culture, explains also the great contrast between two types of structural forms, the organic and the geometric. Historians have too often treated these types as successive rather than coexistent, yet both are original forms creating and expressing different concepts of life, no matter how much their elements may have penetrated one another later, and no matter how much they may have been modified by social changes. 
Both represent particularly communal structures, expressing their character symbolically. This contrast between the organic and the geometric is expressed in architectural formations, both in individual buildings and in communal settlements. The prehistoric towns in Glastonbury and Castellazzo di Fontanellato illustrate these two contrasting types. Glastonbury, with its organic layout, is a typical expression of a people with a mystic culture, whereas Castellazzo de Fontanellato shows in its geometrical layout the characteristics of a people with a magic culture. It is very apparent that the structural difference between these two settlements expressed contrasting social and spiritual forms of organisation. These formative types are rarely presented in pure form in the remnants of habitation accessible to us at present. This is partly because the completed structure is not always analogous with the idea that created it. It is due in part also to the fact that continued contact and mixture of different peoples may blur originally pure forms of expression. Social and political influences cause further deviations. Nevertheless, a tendency to organic or geometric formation can always be clearly recognised. Organic sediments are peculiar to free communities. They co correspond to natural local conditions. Their growth is expressed in their entirety and in all their individual parts. Geometric sediments, on the other hand, are the typical form of autocratic communities. Here, building is subordinated to an abstract planning principle. One may generalise from ample evidence that all mystic peoples, in accordance with their principle of growth, arrive at organic city formations, and that all magic peoples, because of their rational spirit, arrive at geometric city formations. Autocratic cities. The tent camp of the nomad antedates and shows in simplest terms the coordinating principle of the geometric city. A firmly established tent order was one of the disciplining forces in the life of the nomad. Everybody and everything had a place. No one changed his place without command or urgent reason. Because of this fixed order, encampment and decampment could be eff effective with swiftness and order. The tent and all its contents could be packed and loaded in an hour's time. The Roman camp, with its well-established order and the forerunner of the Roman colonial city, Timgad, in North Africa shows how short a step it was from camp to city. It was founded as a military colony by Trajan. It became an autocratic city. The square with the official buildings in its centre, the colonnaded main streets, which end in arched gateways, are typical of a Roman imperial city. Peking also was originally a camp city. The tent of the commander-in-chief was its centre. Around the centre were the tents of the generals and those of the subjects in geometric order. The north-south orientation based on religious conceptions was carried out so completely in the tent camp that later its layout was adopted in the imperial city. But that imperial city was intended to be more than a fortified camp. It symbolised the hub of the universe. On important festivals, the emperor sat on his throne facing south. Before him knelt the worshipping nobles where the, while the people, all facing north, honoured him at their altars in the remotest hut. Versailles, residents of the French kings, became the prototype of a small 
capitals of the territorial princes. Here, the conception of absolute monarchy, re represented in its purest form by Louis XVI, found an equivalent expression in the city dominated by the monarch. The king was glorified as the representative of the monarch system. His place was removed from the city. The monarch was the head of the people. Therefore, his residence headed the city, and the city itself became subordinate to the sovereign place by a symmetrical axis, axial street system. Characteristic of autocratic states is their location on planes. In such location, artificial boundaries established by a conqueror's claim for domination replace natural borders. Autocratic cities were the creator of a ruler, and they rose suddenly. Free cities. Organic cities express slow but planned growth. They are typically free cities based on voluntary coalition of citizens. Such commonwealths arose for the most part in regions where geographic conditions favored the rise of small integrated states. In Greece and Italy, the tribes originally lived in villages. When they concentrated in the polis, that is the city-state, they did so chiefly for reasons of safety. The origin of the medieval cities is attributed to the development of craftsmanship and the subsequent rise of markets. Here, for the first time, free labour became an influencing factor in the city growth as well as political power. Annual and biannual fairs were replaced by the weekly market and concentrated settlements were a prerequisite. These cities were so spaced that the rural population from the surrounding countryside could reach them in one day's travel. A regional structure was thus developed, characterised by an even distribution of different kinds of settlements. A well-proportioned pattern of villages, towns and cities arose, each settlement limited in size and situated with due regard for traffic distances, and well-balanced production and consumption relations between rural and urban communities. Everything was not only related organically within the different settlements, but was also built with reference to the surroundings of those settlements. Topographical influences had much to do with, their determining, with determining their shape. Thera, on an island in the Aegean Sea, was originally a Phoenician settlement, later developed by Greek settlers. To protect it against pirates and invaders, and to afford a free view over the sea, its builders chose the site on the ridge of a mountain. That choice determined the long stretching and narrow shape of the town with its one main street leading through the entire length. Lübeck on the Baltic Sea was built on a flat hill of oblong shape surrounded by two branches of a river. It was an important city, one of the largest of the Middle Ages and the founder of the Hanseat League. Its street system is very clear. Three streets lead through it and are intersected by side streets which lead across the city and down to the river. Nordlingen, originally located on a hill, was rebuilt in the plains at the foot of that hill at the beginning of the 13th century. In its new location the city could develop with freedom. During the 16th century it was extended in the shape of a ring around its nucle nucleus. 
Its shape was almost circular, the circle being the most economical and at the time the most efficient form for a fortified city. The street system of Nordlingen is quite different from that of Thera and Lübeck. The nucleus is surrounded by a ring street from which other streets radiate. Colonial cities. Geometrical settlements are sometimes found in civilizations which originally organic, with originally organic city formations. This is not difficult to explain. Such settlements found in Greece during the Middle Ages and later in America where colonial cities and such cities were always found and built according to a simple geometric plan. Salinas on the southwest coast of Sicily was founded by Dorinians in the middle of the 17th century BC. After its destruction by the Carthaginians, it was rebuilt under the influence of the Hippodamic planning system. The city on the Acropolis was divided by a main street and crossed at right angles to the side streets. The size of the blocks depended on the plan of the houses, which in their similarity and simplicity formed a vivid contrast to the splendor of the community buildings and temples. Montpazier in the southwest of France was presumably built according to a design by English planners during the English conquest of the 13th century. The city consists of rectangular blocks with alleys and two squares, one for the city hall surrounded by arcades and another for the cathedral, both in the center of the city. Philadelphia was built after a plan by William Penn. In its rectangular layout, it, is not only expressed, it not only expressed the spirit of colonial cities, but symbolized also in the homogeneity of its structure, the democratic character of the new community. Political and economic means of existence. There are two ways in which man may win his livelihood. One is economic. Man may satisfy his needs by the exchange of the products of his labor with others by barter. The other is political. Man may sustain his own life by plunder and the exchange of his loot with that of others. The entire course of historical and sociological events is determined by the uses made of these two ec these economic political means. When the peasant, whose occupation binds him to the soil and who lives by barter, is attacked by the nomad, he fights a losing battle. Economic means are overwhelmed by political. In very primitive times, the conquering nomads annihilated the vanished tribes. Gradually, they came to realize their potential usefulness. The van vanquished tribe was forced to produce goods, at first for the victor's consumption and later for the trade which the victor carried on. The victor was soon forced to settle in the conquered territory, territory so as to assure his tribute. The settlements he built, if situated on a vital trading trail or on a strategically important site, became the centers of, larger, uh, of later city developments. The first cities known to us in the river valleys of the Nile, Euphrates and Tigris were all cities resulting from, the victor from victory and domination. The Romans in their conquests of Gaul, Britannia and Germania also used established places of refuge as their permanent camps if they were situated favorably for their purposes. These camps frequently gave birth to city developments. The rise of coastal cities has a like source. Pirates progressed from intermittent raids on the founding of trading posts. 
these trading posts arose as free harbors and where their coastal fortifications became the nuclei of later seaports. The pre-Grecian settlements of the Aegeans on the islands and shores of Greece and Asia Minor may have originated in this manner, but uh, and so also the harbour cities of the Phoenicians along the entire coast of the Mediterranean. A mutual agreement was reached in time between Victor and Vanquished, which gave to the Vanquished certain important advantages. He enjoyed the protection of the Victor not only against invading robber tribes, but against members of his own tribe. He enjoyed trade protection, though he had to pay additional tribute for this. Trading centres and cities governed by overlords and feudal princes developed from this new cooperative relationship. Early despotic states. The large despotic states arising from victory coordinated politically and economically an increased territory which came to comprise a coastal region and finally an entire river valley. The prerequisites for a homogeneous and permanent colony of large river domains were thus established in the regions of the Nile, Euphrates and Tigris, the Ganges and Indus and Haranghu and Zangzit Kian and other great rivers. Only an autocratic system could accomplish this task. Huge irrigational systems had to be planned and build, built. Dams, canals, locks and reservoirs had to be constructed if secure and permanent living conditions were, be, were to be obtained. Such tremendous technical problems required the service of many workers and these workers were employed without regard for their personal fates. The caste system, serfdom, and enslavement were a necessity for those early states. They were all built upon a wide stratum of the original population and ruled by the conquerors. But the conqueror, king, priest, or warrior was also a slave to his calling. The life of the ruler, as well as that of all members of the state, depend on a complicated machinery which had to be maintained even if it meant sacrificing all natural values of life. The problematic nature of civilization is thus shown in its early becomings. Influence of magic ideology. From the pre predominance of the magic ideology originates the deification of the king. To rule was a magic calling. The priest kingdom was probably the first stage of political development. The interplay of social and economic and spiritual forces in the determining of human settlements is interestingly shown in this connection, for it is believed that the use of plows and draft animals is also based on a cult. The chariot of the gods riding along the Milky Way was the prototype of the plow. Images of such chariots were placed as holy vessels on altars, and when the deified kings rode through the streets in triumph, the chariots in which they rode were also modelled upon and made to symbolise the chariots of the gods. As the culture of the hoe gave way to that of the plough, the magic ideology carried into the fields the idea of holiness. The plough being originally a priestly vessel could obviously be properly handled only by a man, whereas the hoe had been the woman's tool and therefore and the new tool which made it possible to grow grain on a large scale to feed the masses concentrated in the growing cities also profoundly altered the status of women in the social structure. It was, in all prob probability, one of the factors in the social change from the matriarch to the patriarch.
place of refuge. For all men in all times, the principal reason for drawing together in settlements has been the need for protection, and that seeking for safety has been one of the most important elements in the rise of cities. In simplest form, the protection for a group was provided by a place of refuge. This was simply a secure place which could be fortified and rendered impervious to attack. People continued to live scattered through the countryside, but would congregate in the stronghold for mutual safety in time of danger. Generally, only one warden lived in the stronghold. He kept record of all who belonged to it, collected taxes from them, and summoned them to arms. Because the altar was also protected by being located within the walls of the palace or place of refuge, the stronghold became not only the military, but also the administrative and religious centre of the region. When favourably located, it might develop into a trading post and then into a city and thus add economic prominence to its military and religious roles. Sometimes gradual change of political pattern and power brought an individual to the head of a community. The purpose of the stronghold then changed. It might continue to serve as a retreat for the community in times of peril, but it might also become a fortress from which the absolute rulers governed adjacent territory. The Acropolis in Athens was originally the place of refuge for its domain. It became also the stronghold of rulers, first under the domination of the Mycenae and under the Pisitrates, and then under the Franconians, Catalonians, the Florentine Dukes, and finally under the Turks. According to the conditions of the times, the Acropolis was now a place of refuge for the people now the stronghold of rulers, now the site of a temple. In the Near East have been found ancient cities of autocratic kings fortified from the beginning. The existence of such cities does not necessarily indicate, however, that they were original settlements on their sites. They should be considered rather as the end of a development whose beginnings were still unexplored and obscure. It may be assumed that such cities originated from the same causes which gave rise to those we know from their beginnings. Wherever a tyrannous state or a despotic ruler arose, a place of refuge of the people became the stronghold of the ruler, dominating the city and its territory. Geographical and topographical conditions Geographical locations and topographical conditions have always been decisive factors in the choice of the site and in the development of settlements. The earliest men probably looked only for the presence of the spring and arable soil. Later settlements looked for a certain type of soil for evidences of the presence of certain raw materials. They considered whether the location was favourable for trade. The earliest settlements arose therefore in valleys, watercourses and seacoasts along the natural communication lanes of unsettled regions. According to, a geographical, according to geographic conditions, certain regions became sparsely settled, others densely populated. The French districts of Arras and Alès, for example, are of approximately equal size, but Arras is fertile and has a large population evenly distributed, whereas Alès is a glacially or glacial unproductive country at the mouth of the Rhone, partially swampy, partly rocky, and its population is small and unevenly distributed. A settlement favourably located, producing goods peculiar to its region, could grow in power. 
achieve hegemony. Carthage dominated by the Mediterranean. Carthage dominated the Mediterranean commercially and military for militarily for centuries because of its advantageous location in the center of the Mediterranean, its naturally protected position and the spirit of its population. Constantinople, the communication link between the Orient and the Occident, London between England and the European continent, New York between America and Europe, all these cities have attained their prominence because of their geographical location, because their geographical location is advantageous. Topographical conditions have always been especially important in relation to defence. Despite all changes of conditions, the city had to be made as secure as possible at all times. A wise, a wise choice of location could make that defence easier. Okay, I'm going to stop this recording here. Um, the, the part that I wanted to emphasise or the part that I found most interesting is the contrast between the nomadic and peasant um, uh, types and how that translates into organic and uh, gridded city settlements, um, which I, I think the text is starting to deviate from.